You are listening to a message brought to you by Christian Life Church Lempster. To find out more about us, go to www.clch.cc. There was um, a bunch of guys went out to play a few rounds of golf, and on the way back in the uh, locker room, getting a bit from pieces, um, one of the phones started to go off. And after a little bit too long, one of the guys um, from on the Guan Canyon picked up the phone. Hey, darling, how you doing? Oh, hey, hon. Um, I've just been out with the girls. Um, noticed a new iPhone out. The man immediately realised what was going on. How much? Just under a thousand pound. And he's like, What's it got? It's got all the latest. It's got the latest, latest camera. It's got a um, new Wi-Fi stuff. She's like, okay, if you need it, go for it. Ah, oh, amazing, thank you so much. On the way home from the uh, Apple store, I then stopped by the uh, holiday agents. They got an amazing deal on Caribbean Cruise. How much? It's only 5,000 pounds, but it's for two and a half weeks. What, what kind of, what's the kind of um, room and all this? Yeah, she goes through the room. I thought, okay, you can get an upgrade to the uh, drinks all inclusive, let's do it. So the, the wife, noticing her, her luck, and said, on the way home from the travel agent, I stopped by the, uh, the new Merck dealership. I don't, I don't know a Merck type of car here, so I'm going to embarrass myself. Um, but she said, that old car's getting pretty uh, rally right now. Um, can we get a new one? Looked at the, uh, the newest one they've got, um, and he was like, how much? £125,000. He's like, that much? Well, darling, if you're going to spend that much, you might as well go all in, get everything you possibly can, get all the extras, get all the add-ons, just do it. And the wife, thank you so much, thank you so much, love you, love you, puts the phone down. The man turns around, looks at the uh, guys in the locker room who are just mouths agape, just completely like, what on earth? To which point the man replied, Whose phone is this? <laughs> <laughs> so, back <laughs> uh, Medieval times. Um, folks who played golf. No, that's not what you off. Um, back in medieval times, there was um, a annual tradition at Easter called the Rhesus Pascalis. I think that's how you say it. And it's called the Easter Laugh. Anyone ever heard of the Easter Laugh? Me neither. Um, clearly it's something that's died out, and what would happen is that Easter, meant to be the time of joy in the Christian calendar, the uh, priest, pastor, vicar, would always kick off the Easter service with a joke. Apparently, it used to be a bit of a rude one, just to get the, uh, the guys laughing. But um, I noticed that sometimes laughter, although it might be a part of our daily lives, might not be a part of our church life. And I was blessed over, I was blessed, very blessed over summer to have a number of you guys around church come to our house and blitz, renovate, redo the, the whole, all the, all the pain that needed doing, the garden that needed doing. Uh, but one thing that really needed doing and was getting a bit of a pain in the backside was uh, our downstairs toilet light. For those of you who came to our house for midweek group, you would realise we had to light a couple of candles. <laughs> you would be, uh, you would be, uh, yeah. Doing your business with the light with the, the light off and uh, fancy kind of sea salt 
flavoured uh, candle. And it wasn't the best, was it, guys? We do apologise. Um, however, that light was fixed. And then we changed the life group venue anyway, so it didn't really matter. <laughs> but um, a couple of weeks after that had happened, we got back home. Um, I went to down to the toilet. Uh, I don't mind telling you this. Uh, doing a toilet business. And I realised, it's quite dark in here, isn't it? There's a light. And I can turn it on. And it took me about three weeks to get back into the habit of turning the light on. <laughs> and, I think, <laughs> and I think our Christian lives are very similar with the concept of joy. We walk around day to day in a dark gloom, hoping just to make it by with a mediocre Christian life that just happens to keep our heads above the water. But actually, we forget that all we've got to do is turn the light on. So let's pray. Father God, as we, as we come to your word this morning, as we come to look at this collection of talks on your joy, God, we thank you that all we need to do is just call upon the name of the Lord. That as we've seen this morning already, so many of these words shared this morning fit exactly with what your heartbeat is for this church right now. God, I thank you that you are a joyful God who rejoices over his children. You are not mean, you are not a miser, you are not um, manipulating things to get your ends, God, but you are a joyful Father who gives good gifts to his children. As we come to look at your word, let our hearts be full of joy again, Jesus. Amen. 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 Um, if you want to put on the um, first uh, joyful picture, is it, it's on. Oh, hey! So, um, got some artwork, which is quite nice. Feel free to look at the photos. Um, why are we talking about joyful? So, one of the things that's been going on around the world is, um, you might have heard the word mental health in the past couple of years, maybe. If you step outside your front door, it seems to be there, just plastered in front of you. Um, the term mental health didn't really exist until the mid-20th century. It wasn't there. It wasn't a thing. Um, so either it didn't exist, people didn't know that it existed. And along with that term mental health then came a whole flurry of other words that of late have become extremely popular. Anxiety, fear, depression, stress, worry. All of those have increased 20-fold in their use in day-to-day -day language, books, newspapers, blogs, all over the shop, it seems to be the world is going worry-crazy. But as the world seems to becoming anxious and stressed, Jesus tells us that we should be joyful. That we should be joyful. Not because the world is getting anxious and stressed and worried, but if the world is getting worried about something, then within that there should be something that as Christians we can be rejoicing. Let's have a look at the first um, picture we're going to be looking at today, John chapter 16. Uh, this picture is going to be a picture that kind of runs through this collection. Um, and just so you find your, your Bibles, um, full disclosure, I don't quite know where the next kind of 40 minutes is going to take us. I know it's going to be fun, so I'm hoping you guys are up for the ride. Um, I know that God has got a lot to do in this place, yeah? Because God's not finished with you yet. If he's finished with you, let, let me know because I've got a lot to do. Um, but God, ha God is moving in this church, God is moving amongst his people 
and God is not finished with you yet. So, John 16. Ah, there we go. It's on there. That helps. So, very truly, this is Jesus saying, uh, speaking, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. And very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Have we already heard that this morning? Yeah, yeah we have. So when you guys hear a verse, when you hear a little kind of tinkling in the back of your mind or your heart during worship, you think, do I share it, do I not share it? This is what happens when you share it, because God emphasises and accentuates the things of his heart that we need to hear. There's going to be a few things today that have been shared in the morning already that are just going to be accentuating and emphasising what God's heartbeat is for, for this church and for you. So what are we going to pick out from this, from this picture? So Jesus is talking about a lady who is giving birth. Now, personally, I've never given birth. Um, I can't, I'm a man. Um, you can't quite say that nowadays, but men can't give birth. Uh, women give birth. And uh, as Paul just mentioned, the church is blessed when the women pray. Yeah? So we have here a woman who is giving birth. Now, it seems to me, by my analysis, that giving birth seems to not be the most pleasant experience. Um, I've seen it a couple of times, but it doesn't seem to be comfortable. Um, it doesn't seem to be kind of like um, a new pastime or a hobby. Um, it seems to hurt almost. Yeah? Is that, is that fair? Yeah. Um, now, the word you, you, Jesus has used here is pain, grief, sorrow, because it, it hurts. Giving birth hurts, right? But then what happens when a woman gives birth, baby is born, and then what's forgotten? The pain. The pain is forgotten, the sorrow is forgotten, the grief is forgotten because a baby has been born into the world. Let's rejoice and let's celebrate because there is new life because of that pain and that suffering. There is now a new life in this world because of that. Now, Jesus in his um, wonderful wisdom is not just taking a picture out of um, thin air and kind of pictures that we use on a day-to-day basis. Jesus is trying to tap into something that has been the plan since forever. We're not looking here simply at a nice illustration. What we're looking at here is Jesus's way of talking about pain, fear, suffering, and joy. Because back to Adam and Eve, Let's go back a couple of chapters. When Adam and Eve were first formed, they had the ability, there and then, to have children. Yeah? They, they could have children there and then. Before sin entered the world, we could have children. Now, as far as I'm aware, the process by which babies were made didn't change. Adam and Eve could have had a baby then being born into the world. However, when sin came into the world, the curse that God gave was what? What was one of the chief curses? Pain in childbirth. Of all the things, 
that God could have cursed, he cursed childbirth. I'm not, not saying kids are cursed. You might feel it at times, but they're, they're not honest. I tell myself every day. Um, he says childbirth is cursed. There will be pain in the labour. The joy of the child coming, the new life coming, will still be there. But that process of going from having a bit of conception through to the beginning of the new life of the baby, that is going to be painful, awkward, not great. So, that tells me that before sin, there was still a process by which joy came into the world. Childbirth would have still happened. The only difference is the pain that was a part of that childbirth. So when Jesus is talking here about a lady who's giving birth, the only reason we have suffering and pain is because of sin. That suffering, that pain, is because of the fall, the sin, that broken relationship with God. But what does it result in? It results in joy. Jesus is trying to tell us that the suffering that we experience, the grief and the pain that we go through, is not an empty thing. It is not an unnecessary thing, because the only way a baby can be born is by giving birth to it. Yeah? I've seen, I've seen one of those different. The only way a baby can be born is if a mother is pregnant and gives birth. The only way we can experience true joy, and I'm going to explain that in a second, the only way we can experience true joy is by walking through the process of pain and grief and suffering. Joy is not divorced from those things. There's not joy over here. I'm trying to get at it. I'm trying to escape from sorrow and grief and pain and fear. We can't do that. Why? Because we are in a fallen world where... Where, where we are right now. We can't escape from that fact. There will be sorrow. There will be pain. There will be reasons to be sad. But alongside that, those moments that we go through will give birth to joy. So, many of you guys, and in the, I'll look around, each and every single person here is walking through suffering right now. There's no one here, there is no one here looking out that is not going through something in their life that is difficult. At the very least, it's less than great. But everyone here has something in their lives that is just, that sucks, that is rubbish. There are other words you could use, but I'm not going to do it for the American church. But it's not a case of God just take that away from me. Because God just doesn't remove suffering from you. And we'll explain why in a second. But God doesn't just remove suffering, He doesn't remove sadness from you. He says, no, no, no. This is doing something. This is a process by which joy will be birthed. This is a process by which you will forget about this suffering. You will forget about this grief. You will forget about this pain and this worry and this fear. Because new life has come. We're told psychologically that the brain kind of forgets pain 
The trauma of pain remains, but the pain itself goes. There's um, a Shakespeare play called um, All is Well That Ends Well. And it seems to be the moment that you get out of the painful situation, give it a bit of time, you look back and the pain that was there in the moment seems to have disappeared. The pain itself has gone. And you're left with the joyful remnant, the hopefully maybe, maybe bittersweet, but the sweet memories of the process that got you into that space of joy that you now are. Um, my wife, Paula, um, gave birth twice. First birth was super quick. Um, I think it was like one push. Um, so couldn't quite measure pain at that point. Um, the second, the Joanna's birth, was a bit of a different experience. There was kind of um, there was a bit of a false start. Went into hospital for a few hours, and kind of the pain was kind of building up, and then didn't seem to go anywhere. Back home, wait another day, another couple of days. Then pain starts to come again, back into hospital. And that process, for some people, might happen more than once, might more than twice. That's the same thing in our lives. We might be going through a season of pain and suffering, and suddenly it seems to stop. And it seems to start again, stop, and start again. Waves, ebbs and flows of pain in our lives, up until that pain starts to get more intense. It starts to become more rapid. It starts to grow in its intensity. Um, now, Paola, when she gave birth, she refused all the um, kind of fancy needles and drugs and things. Um, she, I don't know if this is foolish, but she trusted herself into my hands to, uh, my only job was to count. I could count in fives and threes, breathing in and out, five and three, that's, that's all it was. Um, but that pain was... I wouldn't say it was removed, but it was subdued by a friend who helped us to do the most basic of things. I didn't take the pain away from her. I didn't stop the process, because if I stopped the process, what would not come? The baby. So some of you right now are hoping, God, take this pain away from me. God's saying, keep going. There is new life to be born. There is new creation at stake here. Now every time, let me get into too much detail with this, but every time that Paula pushed, um, the, there would come up a little blip on the heart monitor for the baby. And every push, Joanna lost a heartbeat. Push, no heartbeat. Push, no heartbeat. The doctors had to, there was a bit of to and froing between some of the midwives and they were saying that the cord is tight. Every time you push, it's almost strangling Joanna. Do you stop? Do you stop because it's awkward? You can't. That new life is coming, whether or not you like it, which means if that's coming, the necessary steps are pain. The necessary steps are is that suffering to get through those final pushes to see that new life come, to see that baby come into the world. I'm hoping many of you can see, see the parallels here between the suffering and the grief that you are going through and this, this picture of 
suffering and joy that Jesus is using here. Because in every picture of suffering and joy, there is always hope. And this is what's different about us as Christians, that we have hope right from the offset, because we know that the purpose of pain and suffering is new life, is new birth, is a baby being born. Because we know that, not just because we're uh, positive people, not just because we look on the bright side of life, but because the whole Bible, the whole story of humanity is born through hope, through suffering that gives birth to new life. Even in the fall, when Adam and Eve committed their first sin, when God gave them the first curses, he then said, there will be, there will be someone who will come and tread on the head of the serpent. There's hope. And the moment there's hope, that's the seed of new life. Hope leads us, leads us through suffering, knowing the outcome before we get there. As Christians, we are called to hope. As Christians, we are called to be reminded that God has written into your grief an outcome that we get to see today. We're going to jump too much ahead of ourselves. So let me, let's just put that to one side for now. We're going to come back to that picture in a second. I want to talk to you about who God is. And why is it that we as Christians can hope? Why is it that we as Christians can have that picture in our head and just kind of cling on to this idea of positivity? Which it might seem to some of you. Jason, you have no idea what I'm really going through, what I'm really feeling. Can you stop telling me just to have hope and be positive? That might be what some of you are thinking right now. And I get that space that you're in. What I'm here to do today is couch that in what the Bible talks about grief and suffering. I'm not here to take it away from you. I'm not here to belittle your feelings and your emotions and your experiences and your circumstances. Because God has written a different story for each person in here. But suffering and grief is a normal part of every life. What is different is the beginning and the end. What is different about Christian suffering is the beginning and the end. God is three in one. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that completely and utterly. There is, you can't escape it. That is who he is. He is completely self-sufficient in himself. In all three. He doesn't need anyone else. He doesn't need anything else. God is completely self-sufficient. Which means within God already, the Trinity, there is sufficient love, peace, compassion and joy in him. In them, they are everything they need. So then, one day, in the vast expanse of eternity past, God, the Trinity, decided a great part of our love is creativity, is joy, is sharing. Let's create. 
Let there be light. The beginning of that let there be light wasn't a case of God saying, I need people to worship me. I need a universe to worship me. That wasn't the beginning of how creation started. Creation started because Father, Son and Holy Spirit love each other, are joyful with each other and love being together. So let's create a universe where we get to see that joy, that love take place in a wider scale. That's the genesis of the biblical story of the universe. Now what that means is the universe in itself doesn't have much of a point. Because the only purpose of it was because God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit wanted to expand on their, their love. They wanted to grow out. They had joy they wanted to grow. They had joy they wanted to see get bigger. So the universe is an overflow, an outcome of their joy, of their love, of them being them. God's identity is what led to the universe being made. So when it says that the heavens declare your glory, because the heavens and everything within it is an expansion of the Trinity. Now, It wasn't necessary, and he didn't need the worship, he didn't need the power. There was no purpose to the universe beyond simply God's joy. Now, that sounds very much like um, some kind of 1950s nihilist thinkers. Um, there is no purpose to life. So let's jack it all in and finish there. However, like I said, the Christian suffering has a beginning and end that's different to the world's suffering. So, the line of, there is no point, there is no purpose, is actually, for us as Christians, one of the most freeing things we can hear, because you, this is going to come as a bit of a shock to a couple of us, you do not have one particular purpose to fulfil, but if you miss it, you have lost your life. There is not one thing on this earth that you were created for solely, that if you miss it, you have missed out on God's purpose for your life. There is not a train track that God's got for your life that if you step outside of it, suddenly you're out of his kingdom, suddenly you're out of his good books, suddenly you're out of his favour. Because God didn't create you just for one purpose. God created you out of his joy. God created you out of his love. So as we go through life, as we go through our, um, our life, as we go through each day, and we might be thinking, God, what do you want me to do? What do you need me to do? God, this isn't fair. God's saying, yeah. But this is joy. This is me. This is us. This is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working our way through the universe. You do not have to worry about finding your space because I have created you already purely for my joy. So a few of you in the room who have been trying to work out what your purpose and your place is, by the fact that you're here, that you exist, that is your purpose and your place.
put those two pictures together. The beginning of Christian suffering is joy in who God is. Joy in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because they have joy, we get to partake in that as they invite us into relationship with them. That means that because we know them, because they know us, we get to go through suffering with a picture of what the end is going to be. Because if God started off the universe with joy, how's he going to end it? With joy. If God started off the universe with love, he's going to end it with love. Because he doesn't change from beginning to end. He doesn't change from day to day. He doesn't change from millimetre to millimetre. The world we're living in is going through a process of suffering. But what we have as Christians is the beginning and end, the bookends to this story. Revelation 21, 1, verse 4. I think that's the next verse. Yeah. So when I said bookends, I literally meant Genesis and Revelation. So then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. We're going to come up to that in a bit. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. The last chapter of the Bible ends with God reiterating that he is the beginning and the end. So if we as Christians believe in God who is the beginning and the end, who created everything because of his joy and his love and his compassion and his peace, then we believe in a God who is from beginning to end of the same. We believe in a God who, from eternity past to eternity future, who is the same. Who, through every single molecule, atom, through every single particle of string theory, through every single possible circumstance, situation that you might find yourself in, there is not a single modicum of this world that is not painted and, and impressed by the love and the joy and the peace of God. So why, Jason, are we suffering? Answered anything, Jason. What are you doing? Because unless we understand this picture, this background, anything we go on to next will just be meaningless because you will find another reason for the, for the starting point of your suffering. You will find another reason for the end point of why it finished. Unless we start with who God is and where He is, anything else does not lie on a firm foundation. So, where do we go with this? Why is there suffering? Acts chapter 2 says, this is quite a long bit, but it's the whole, the whole story needs to be said. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Uh, just before we get there, sorry. Um, this is Peter's first time ever preaching in public. Jesus has just been raised from the dead, ascended up to heaven. Pentecost has happened, so the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And now Peter says, 
Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you, so listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was uh, spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. Uh, so when we talk about um, we want to see signs and wonders, just remember that when Peter first preached it, he talked about fires and billows of smoke. Interesting. Sorry, side, side point. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body will also rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him and on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, This Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to them that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs. And we'll keep it, keep it there for the sake of time. This is a big chapter. I'm going to rush through this because this is why it's important to talk about suffering in the basis of who God is. Because the first ever gospel preaches this one. And Peter doesn't just say, God is, uh, God is good, Jesus loves you, come get saved. He gives a full picture that is centered around, in the middle of it, is joy, rejoicing, and the presence of God. Either side of that, we have the promises of Jesus, of God, the Israelite people in the past, and we then have a promise in the future of what's going to be coming. In the middle of this, we have joy, the presence of God, and one particular moment in the history of the universe, which is the crucifixion. 
the middle point between all the promises of God to his people and the promises of God for the future are centered around the moment when Jesus went to the cross and he died. So let's talk about Jesus a second. Jesus went to the cross. Did he suffer? Did he go through grief? Jesus wept. Did he need to? Yeah. No. <laughs> it was yes. <laughs> he didn't deserve to. He had grief. He stressed so much about that moment that he cried blood. So he goes to the cross, and the moment that he dies, now Jesus goes to the cross, he goes through all the pain, he goes through all the suffering, all the lashing, all the mockery, all the betrayal. And on the cross, he dies. He says, what? It is finished. And as soon as he says that, he dies. And in the temple, which is housing God's presence, what happens? Curtain gets torn in two, which means what is now free to all people? The, the, the presence of God. The moment Jesus died, that presence of God was now opened into the world. Anyone who called upon the name of the Lord could now receive that spirit, that presence of God that was before kept. Where's Jesus? Dead on the cross. Where's God's presence? Released from the temple. Hope has been birthed. Or more accurately, hope has been seeded into our hearts. Because something still has not changed. Jesus is dead, but God's presence is here. Wait a minute, I thought, they, I thought it was a whole complete package, Jason. This doesn't work out. I thought when Jesus dies, presence of God, therefore we, we've got new life straight away. No, there was a delay. There was a process when the world was in pain and suffering, because when the world was pain, this is the universe. Because when Jesus died, what also happened? It went dark. In the beginning, let there be light. Jesus dies. It goes, creation cries with the pain and the suffering of the sins of man for ignoring their God. Three days later, Jesus rises again. He's gone to the pits of hell, to the bottom of despair, he has experienced every possible human emotion that can be experienced. He comes right back up. Because Satan thought that by taking Jesus as a man, he could kill him. Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews, oh, early on in Hebrews, says that by taking the form of man, Jesus gave himself up. Because this is why, and this is, this is why we started off with a joke, because Satan thought he'd won because he killed Man. God in man. He thought he killed God because God became as man. So Jesus is there in hell. He says he ascended, descended. Satan thinks he's won. Satan thinks he's won up God. But then Jesus, <laughs> Jesus 
who now, because he lived a perfectly sinless life and took on the sins of the world, through his suffering, became obedient to the point of death on the cross. Because he descended to hell, God now did what? God raised him up. God raised him up. Not Satan. Not Jesus himself. God raised him up. At the very bottom of Jesus' experience of humanity, abandonment from God, forsaken, God picked him up and raised him. At this point, Jesus now takes what from Satan? Jesus takes the keys. The keys to hell, the keys of life. And he takes them up to the right hand of God. What happens at this moment? This moment, we no longer just have hope. This moment, we no longer just have the presence of God to be with us. We now have what? The firstborn among the dead. We have new life. Jesus' resurrection isn't just about hope. Jesus' resurrection is the real, imminent, tangible, touchable joy of God in our lives. It's no longer just God alongside me. It's Jesus has died and resurrected. He has conquered death. He has conquered suffering. He has conquered pain. He has gone through all the fear so that we do not have to. That by trusting and believing in him, through the pain of the cross, he has now risen to the right hand of God. When we put our trust in him, we do not have to take that same journey to the bottom of the depths of despair to go back up. Why? Because Jesus calls us there today. Jesus is calling on each of us to believe in him, to follow and be obedient to him, and to be ambassadors of this message to the world around us. So, even Jesus went through suffering and grief in order to experience that joy and that exaltation. We're told. those who are interested in this message he says repent and what be baptized because repentance is about realizing there's hope against our sins there's hope against the despair of the world but there's still a journey to be made into death and back out again that we need to make baptism is a picture of what death and resurrection, death, and new life. Those who have been baptized have taken that journey with Jesus, that journey with Christ, into death and back out again. And you are now a new creation. So that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. <laughs>
Ecclesiastes 3. I think it's the next one. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Believing in Jesus helps us to discern, just like God, the beginning from the end. That by putting eternity into our hearts, God has put a struggle in our hearts. Because our Christian hope is pulling us forward into heaven. Our Christian hope is pulling us forward into the day, just like we read in uh, Revelation, when God's presence will be in us, with us, across the whole of creation. The struggles that we go through day by day are not simply struggles against this world because of sin, but they are struggles against our understanding as Christians that we have yet to see the fullness of God in the land of the living. The greatest struggle we have as Christians is not, how do I escape pain? The greatest struggle we have as Christians is how do I see God's kingdom here on this earth? It is not a matter of escape from the world, asceticism, let's all become monks in a monastery. The struggle of joy, the journey of joy, is about how do I see heaven at work? How do I see God's kingdom at work in my life? Because true joy has nothing to do with the situations and the circumstances around it. True joy has nothing to do with our emotions, our experiences. And that's not to belittle them. That is not to say they don't matter, that is not to say they don't count, that is not to say they're not bad. What it is to say is that joy in the kingdom of God is everything about who he is. I'm going to finish off with the words of an old dead guy, Francis, St. Francis of Assisi. He talks about perfect joy. So in chapter 8 of The Little Flowers of St. Francis of Assisi, Francis gives his friend Leo a teaching about what perfect joy is. They are trudging through the snow from Perigia to the home of their group at St. Mary of the Angeles. For their, brotherhood, for their brotherhood to give a great example of holiness and edification in all lands would not be perfect joy. Francis says, Nor would a great ministry of healing and raising the dead, nor would possession of all languages and all science, nor all understanding of prophecy and scripture, and insight into the secrets of every soul, nor would even the conversion of all unbelievers to faith in Christ. None of those things, St. Francis of Assisi says, will give us perfect joy. And by this point, his brother Leo, or brother Leo, is amazed, and he begs Francis to teach him, wherein there is perfect joy? And the reply is that, if, when they come to their quarters, dirty, wet, exhausted from hunger, they are rejected, repeatedly rebuffed, and finally driven away by force. Then, if we accept such injustice, such cruelty, and such contempt with patience, 
without being ruffled and without murmuring. And if we bear all these injuries with patience and joy, thinking of the sufferings of our blessed Lord, which we would share out of love for him, write, my brother Leo, that herein is perfect joy. The first joke we talked about with the wife wanting all these various things, many of us might look at those things as they might bring us joy. Escaping a situation might bring us joy. But the joy that we're looking for starts in our heart. And it colours everything else around it. Let's not pray for God to remove us from our sin, from our suffering, remove us from our pain, remove us from our grief, because that is the process by which joy is birthed. That we realise the depth of the treasure that Jesus has entrusted to us. This is why, when Jesus says, back in John chapter 16, when the world is rejoicing, we, we, are, we are sad, we are weeping. But when the world is weeping, we get to rejoice. Because we found the true treasure in our hearts. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you took that journey of suffering, of pain, and ultimately death, so that by which we may have forgiveness of sins, but also the hope of new life in you, Jesus. That we may see your kingdom come into our lives. We thank you, Jesus. Not only did you die on the cross, but you raised again on the third day. Your resurrection life, your resurrection body that conquered death, that has conquered sin. God, that we get to join you, Jesus. We get to join you in the kingdom of God. Help us to place our suffering and our grief at your feet, Jesus. That no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how wrong or right it might feel, Jesus, we know that you have suffered, that you were then exalted and raised again, and by trusting in you, Jesus, we will see an end to the pain and the suffering and the grief that we are going through. We long to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, but we know that, Jesus, you are preparing a place for us where there will be no more tears, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more sorrow, and there will be no more pain. Because God, you are with us.